Hi, I'm Dave. Hi, I'm Rob. And welcome to our second review episode for Series 10 of Doctor Who. This week looking at Episode 2, which is Smile. Rob, before we go into anything else, what's your one word for this week? My one word for this week, Dave, is redemption. Interesting. Mine is simple. Simple. Okay. So, that aside, how are you? I'm not bad at all. I'm not bad at all. It's uh, it's only a two-day weekend this weekend after we had lovely four days off last weekend with Easter, but uh, I'll cope. Well, it is a two-day weekend, but we do get Tuesday off as a public holiday as well, so we can't really complain that there's a three-day week coming up. We, we do indeed. April is quite a, quite a good month for time off work. <laughs> it's not too bad, is it? <laughs> okay, shall we dive into it then? I think we'd better because actually we've got a lot to get through and if I may, before we start, I do have a few quick things to say relating to last week's episode and Doctor Who in general and all that sort of fun stuff. All right, well, let's kick that off. Okay, first of all, hello to our new listeners who who might have come to us through the Whovians AU hashtag. Hello. Hi. <laughs> Hi there. Um, which I guess does lead me to mention the Whovians AU hashtag is, is part of the new Whovians television show on ABC TV here in Australia where... Four comedians and a guest of the week get together and talk Doctor Who straight after the episode as it airs on television. Dave, have you been watching it? Look, no, I haven't. Partly it's purely a time thing. There's just so many hours in the day to watch actual TV. The watching TV about TV just doesn't get a look in, I'm afraid. Mm. And, and, and partly I've got to say, and this is perhaps an inside reference only for those in Australia, but Rovick Manus did give us Peter Hellier. And until he until he apologises for that, I'm not that interested in watching him. I've got to say. Fair enough, fair enough. I mean, I, I watched the first episode last week, and look, my my key takeaway is it wasn't the greatest show ever. However, I'm glad that it exists rather than doesn't exist. I'm glad the ABC is putting out a chat show on Doctor Who for fans to you know get involved with, giving us the Whovians AU hashtag, giving us I think a hundred new Twitter followers in the past week. I think it's a good thing for the community overall, even if the show doesn't resonate with everyone. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a really nice thing. The people I know who have watched it have said everything from, look, they really enjoy it through to, hey, it's mostly harmless. So that's not a bad thing. Yeah, exactly right. All right, moving along, because I know we've got to get through a whole lot in this episode. I did want to also mention the concept of this show in general and how we do these hot takes straight after the episode. As soon as I listened back to our episode last week, I thought, oh my God, we didn't mention how it was like Sharda, and we didn't mention that Mary Celeste sign, and we didn't mention that it was the doctor photographing Bill's mum, and what does this mean, and what does that mean? And and I guess that's the nature of a hot take. You don't include a lot of things, so it's, uh, it's always interesting to listen back, and I listen to other podcasts, and I think, Oh, yeah, I thought that too. I did think that. I didn't say it in my show, but I did think that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's the nature of the beast, isn't it? And at some point, and, and you know my view on this very much, Rob, at some point when you actually start to talk for longer than the episode itself went for and go into that much analysis, I actually feel you're taking away a bit of the magic of the television experience. Mm. And so it's important to be a little bit, it's important to be a little bit selective with what you do and not to go down the rabbit hole too much but yeah there's so much you can say but i've, I've got to ask the shard of reference rob you, you you you've said it a couple of times now and i'm not sure where you're coming from 
just the whole the doctor is in a university we have this university setting um, oh, of course. and i think douglas adams had said what a great place for a time lord this is in regards to shadow what a great place for a time lord because you have all these old professors at university who could have been there for 50 or 100 years and no one notices because they just keep going around doing their own thing and we had the doctor obviously there you know there's reference he's been there for 50 odd years and i thought yeah that has shades of shada for me yeah, now you mentioned it, I did get that right at the start, but I was I was trying to think of the actual plot of Shard and going, it's got nothing to do with Time Lord Prisoners? What's going on? There's, there's but, no weird hats and capes and things? What's going no, on? No, no. Or a wonderfully <laughs> overacting Christopher Neen. <laughs> um, we also have a lot of listener feedback to get to at the end of the show, so we're going to cram that in as well. So I won't take up any more time. I think we should get straight on to the episode. Let's do it. So straight off the bat, what did you think? Overall, I was happy with this. And, you know, going into it, I thought, hmm, it's Frank Cottrell Boyce. He's the guy who wrote In the Forest of the Night. Is he going to do a, uh, what would we call that, a reverse Neil Gaiman <laughs> and, and do something good after he after he did something bad the first time? Obviously, Neil Gaiman did a great episode than a bad one, um, both being big name authors and such. And I've got to say, I'm overall happy with what he's done. Yeah, it's really interesting. I've never been that down on Forest of the Night, certainly compared to a lot of other fans. I never thought it was a great episode, but I thought it was a perfectly simple, fun, and very well-directed episode. So I came into this with a slightly different view, but I think my takeaway is very, very similar. Oh, excellent. I mean, in the, in the lead-up to this series, and for, for quite a while now, I've been saying that I've liked Doctor Who in the modern sense at its best when it just gets on with going into time and space and telling a simple, fun adventure that you can watch happily over dinner on a Sunday evening. Mm. And in this episode, I think that we have been delivered an adventure where the Doctor and his companion go off into time and space, and they have a fun, simple adventure that makes for very nice viewing on a Sunday evening. And having got that, I really can't complain. And this, this feels like going back to particularly that middle section of season eight, Peter Capaldi's first one, where just episode after episode, apart from the two first and the two last, there were just these wonderful, fun stories that you could just watch and enjoy. And if we're getting more of that for this series, I'm a very happy fan. I agree with all of that. Uh, very much so, actually. But having said that, I felt that this episode was a slight step back from last week. It didn't give me quite the warm Doctor Who is back feelings. Capaldi wasn't quite as fluffy. In, in fact, he seemed a bit grouchy in this episode and given his hair length i'm wondering if this was a, a an episode that was recorded earlier than the first episode i think that's quite possible and and the use of nardole like being so sparing like we were originally told nardole will be used sparingly and then as the season was recorded and as the recording went on we were told oh he's in more and more episodes so i don't know whether they recorded this first and he's got the shorter hair he's got a bit more of a grouch going on they're not using nardole and then they've gone backwards when they recorded the first episode. Um, did you just get that slight feeling that it was different to last week's, though? Look, it was different to last week's, and my take on that was that it was simpler to last week's. Last week's had a very simple story, but overlaid with that was the laying down of the new companion, the laying down of what we presume is going to be the MacGuffin of the series and the arc of the series. This didn't have so much of that. There are a couple of references we'll talk to at the end, but... This was a simpler show. You know, it really only had an A plot. There was no B plot, a little and a C plot. And it wasn't a complicated show. So you, you could sit there and say, oh, I'd like it to be a little bit more complicated. And, and, and yeah, okay, that's, that's a valid criticism. But 
having asked for good fun stories, mm. I'm not going to slap it too hard and say, be more complicated. Because <laughs> then I'll just come around and go, be more fun. So, you know, you're just going to take it. Well, I think I know where your word of the week comes from now. <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty easy one, that one, I thought. <laughs> now, what about Bill? I mentioned the doctor seeming a bit different. He was kind of grouchy again, to my mind. But, Bill, this was questions overload, Dave. And I know you don't particularly like the questions. It, it seemed that the questions were, were faster and more furious than in the first episode. Look, my jury is currently checking into the hotel it's been sequestered they're ordering room service and i'm not expecting a verdict for a little while yet right uh i'm i'm at this stage i'm certainly not disliking bill but i don't feel i know bill i feel that we've still got a really high level characterization i don't think she's really particularly in this episode been put into circumstances that let us see what sort of person she is there were glimpses of it and one point that i think did stand out for me was when uh, we get towards the end and she's dealing with a young boy and her concern for that was was really quite nice to see and quite a genuine one and and i liked her there but i think at the moment she's still largely generic traveling companion i don't know if you ask me to describe who bill was i could tell you you know her height and how she looks <laughs> and what she does but i couldn't really tell you who she is yeah, certainly generic is a good word. You know, I mean, people can say, oh, she was sent to the TARDIS and she snuck out. Isn't that brave and daring? Yeah, but I think most modern companions would do exactly the same. Or, hey, she saw the future of the human race and she was sad. Yeah, but I think most, you know, modern companions would do the same thing. So, Look, look, look it would be a very boring drama if at the 18-minute mark the companion was told to go back to the TARDIS and stay there. And they did. <laughs> like Nissa, you mean? Oh, oh, Nissa, sorry. I thought you said Missy. No, 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 Nissa. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, yes, that does make sense. But, but in, that, in that case, at least with Nissi, there's two other companions to carry on with the plot. Yes. So, yeah, yeah, okay. <laughs> Before we get into more of the plot, though, Nardole obviously only had a brief sort of moment in this episode. He seemed different to last week as well. He seemed more like, mm, you know, what are you doing? You shouldn't be doing this. He was... Uh, a lot more dismissive, a lot, not meaner, but he just had a different disposition to last week, I thought. Yes, there was a slightly grumpier tone to him. Whether that's, as you say, because it was an earlier characterization, or whether there's that sense of uh, he's feeling a bit displaced because the Doctor's got a new companion. Mm -hmm. Yeah, true. Uh, I, I, and I actually must admit I took it to be the latter, but, but what we were saying about it being the former does make sense as well. So, But either way, it was, as you say, a... A more dour performance. Mm, definitely. That's uh, that's our big three in terms of actors. We've mentioned the writer Frank Cottrell Boyce, who Stephen Moffat absolutely raves about, and I couldn't see anything redeeming in before, but you didn't mind. I think he's turned out a good episode here. We've kind of covered that. Do you have anything more on Frank for the moment? Only to say that this was a much more conventional Doctor Who story and Doctor Who script mm. than his last one was. Whether that's coincidental or whether there was a deliberate attempt by him to sort of go back to, okay, maybe I overstepped a bit here, there was a negative reaction, you know, I did come last in the Doctor Who magazine poll, so let me give, you know, yeah. let, let's give him a bit more, you know, of what they're used to. M maybe that was deliberate, I don't know. Fair enough. And before we go uh, in front of the camera and talk plot, the director, I made actual point of actually looking up the director this time, because like you, I, I don't really look at who the directors are. I just know whether I like it or not. And uh, it's Lawrence Goff. 
Now, he also did the first episode, and both of them, I felt, looked big and made good use of locations. And I think the location in this story really helped a lot. I mean, how could you go wrong? You know, pulling, pulling yeah. back and doing a wide-angle view of some of these buildings, uh, which yeah. were obviously real buildings, it, it just looked really good. It did, but also it was quite an imaginative way in terms of the way that he did film it. Um, the, the way that he swept up, particularly in the earlier stuff, the, the sweeping motions across the field into the city, uh, the way he pulled back on certain corridors. Yes, you're right, you can't go wrong visually with those settings, but even then he didn't allow himself to get complacent. I thought he had some really quite imaginative and quite sweeping shots, which I, I really quite enjoyed. And, and even the way that he did film those robot-y things uh, was better than it could have been. I think that they filmed in a more pedestrian manner would have been even more... Uh, dodgy mm. than they perhaps were filmed imaginatively. Absolutely, because I mean they're they're little, they're slow, they're not very dynamic, but they still brought a sense of menace. Even though the real menace was from the swarm of little nanobody things, um, the little robots still were quite menacing in their own way, and that's an achievement, I think. Let's talk about them because I mean this episode really opens with them and, and is about them. Hmm. What what was your feeling about these robots? Well, Dave. You kind of put a thought into my head before this episode started, and that was when I tweeted a number of pictures from the episode and said, hey, people, you know, hey, Whovians, are you? What do you think of this? And you said, I think this looks a lot like Paradise Towers, and that stuck in my head. And for listeners out there, Paradise Towers was a story where, as part of the storyline, there are these cleaner robots, and they were going around killing people. And that just I maybe colored my impression of them from the start. Oh, okay. I don't think I was actually that far off, though, because they are servitors that have gone rogue. Exactly right. And if we throw in another Sylvester McCoy story, obviously the Happiness Patrol, where everyone has to be happy, we're very close to the plot of this story. Yes, there there were a lot of throwbacks that I think we can explore in a moment. But I, I have very mixed views on the robots. I, I think that they did work for the story. I'm not really knocking them in any way. The design was fine. Uh, that that said, though, you know, they do remind me a little bit of the quarks. In in situ, they just about work. Looked at objectively, they do look very silly. And the idea that you would have... Well, well, this is interesting. The idea that you would have a robot that can't communicate with you other than via smileys is a incomprehensibly silly thing to do. Like, no designer would do that. Yeah. Conversely, though... The menace came from the fact that they can't communicate and you can't communicate with them other than through Smiley. So there's no reasoning with them. And I think this is what makes a a robot or a a nasty scary is that when you know you have no ability to communicate, you have no ability to beg, you have no ability to reason, to rationale, and you are therefore helpless. Mm. And helplessness is what's scary. You know, for me, bang, you're dead isn't that scary, but... I know I'm about to die, and there's nothing I can do other than beg a robot that can't understand me. Yeah. That's terror, and that's scary. Although I do concede that rationally the robot concept is a silly one, dramatically it's a really good one. Yeah, I was actually tossing this up around in my head and thinking, why would they do it like this? And I'm thinking, on one hand, I'm thinking, oh, they're trying to just tap into the zeitgeist like when we had the Wi-Fi episode a few years ago, you know, Moffat was sitting there thinking, what, what's cool, kids? Oh, Wi-Fi. I'll write about Wi-Fi. And, and here, you know, it's, it's robots and artificial intelligence and emojis, obviously. 
but then I thought, you know, if it's the human race, they might have people from all over the planet and maybe they don't all speak one language and maybe emojis are a good way to communicate to people with lots of different languages. Then I thought, no, hang on, if you can fly people across the stars in stasis, you'd invent robots like C-3PO who could speak all sorts of languages. So, yes, I agree the concept was silly, but it did add a lot of menace when you think about what it would mean if you were in that situation. Yeah, and at the end of the day, what is the role of Doctor Who? The role of Doctor Who is to entertain us for 45 minutes. Yeah. And and if sometimes the plot has to you know, have a few conceits to do that, well, that's the nature of science fiction. At the end of the day, it's a guy that flies through time and space in a police box. Mm. <laughs> so, Agreed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anything more to say on that before I pull up probably one of my biggest points about the episode? No, go for it. Okay. Blowing the place up. Dave... Is it undoctorly to do that, especially when he's only just got there, especially when he knows the massacre is fresh because he's picked up the skulls and he's said, oh, well, this has only just happened. There could very well still be people hiding in the place. They've not searched it. They don't know. And he's like, oh, I'm just going to blow it up. Undoctorly or what? I was very conflicted on this. I'm glad you brought this up this early. Part of me does understand the idea that if he genuinely believed that a colony ship was on its way with thousands of humans and that that would be a death sentence for them, I can see him going, well, I need to eliminate the threat. My next thought was, if you have a whole bunch of colonists about to arrive on a planet, presumably predicated on the assumption that the robots have made a city for them, and then presumably not having you know, their own equipment to build a city or anything like that, are you condemning them to arrive on a hostile planet with no resources and die a much slower death? Yes. That was a problem for me. But, but then I sort of, you know, I ummed and hard and I thought, no, I, I can kind of see what he's doing and within the narrative I, I get it, but you're right. You, the more you think about it, particularly given the fact the Doctor was wrong, you have to condemn him for his quick decision because had he not been pulled up when he was, he would have blown up thousands of humans. Yeah. So his lack of investigation was undoctorish. I don't necessarily think his decision was undoctorish because the doctor has blown up threats before many, many times. Of course. But his lack of wanting to explore first was less doctorish. Yeah, I mean, I was I was thinking in, in real terms, I'm thinking, look, you're safe outside the city. Why don't you set up a beacon, a beacon that's saying to any ship that arrives, don't land here or here's what the situation is and here's how to deal with it or whatever. Don't just blow the place up. I was, I was very confused by that. It all seemed designed, I think, so we could get to a point later in the episode where he says something like, I almost killed the human race. <gasps> oh, but... It wasn't even that much of a big deal moment. I think they could have achieved the same storyline if they just explored around the city further and got down to a lower level and said, oh, look, there's a ship here, and gone into the ship and found all the people in the pods, realised they were still there, and and not have had that little side trip of, I'm going to blow it up. It just seemed really designed so we could get to that one line, which didn't have that bigger payoff or sort of any impact on me anyway. I, I could understand if he said look, I'm going to go to the ship. This may end with me having to blow the place up. I'm ready to do that if we need to. But before I do anything, let's find the black box or let's find the computer. You know, let, let's go and find something that tells us what's going on here. Because you can hear doctors in the past saying words like, this is a mystery and I don't like mysteries. Mm, exactly. The, the idea that he wouldn't explore the mystery, he'd just go to end it, was interesting. And as you say, yeah. Again, if you're watching it casually for 45 minutes, you don't really pick it up, but it is it is there. We don't have to dig too far to find it. 
The pacing of this episode I thought was really good too. The mystery was set up really well. I mean, it, it does get to the point where at the end it's almost a deus ex machina kind of moment. But on the whole, I thought it was paced pretty well. It was actually. Actually, the pacing reminded me very much of a traditional classic Doctor Who story. You could you could almost spot where the cliffhangers would be. You know, like the Doctor discovering that um, all the people have been killed. Cue credits. The Doctor discovering, oh my God, this is actually a cryogenic chamber and there's millions of humans here. Cue credits. Uh, you know, that would have, I think it would have made a really nice three-parter because you're right, the plot did have that traditional let's just explore and find out what's going on here, followed by let's expand on this and work out a bit more, followed by the extremely rushed quick ending, which is, you know, every final part of every Doctor Who story. Or maybe even for the end of the second part, the Doctor with the robot pulling him over the edge of the ledge or something like that. Yeah, something like that, yeah, absolutely. You could see it would have lended itself to that very, very easily. So I, I didn't mind it. Um, I have had a very quick look on Twitter just to get a quick look at some instant comments from other people, and the one negative that I'm seeing pop up has been pacing, though. Oh. This idea that This idea that there was sort of 35 minutes of very slow exploration followed by 10 minutes of very rapid-fire events. And, and I can kind of get that because basically, other than the two women who were killed within about 30 seconds of the opening, the entire guest cast doesn't arrive until after about the 35-minute mark. Yeah, yeah, that's true. But, you know, I, I thought the pacing kind of played well with what the story was about. They're in this empty city for the first bit. So it is sort of a lot of wandering around and what's going on, and it's a bit slow. But then as soon as the humans arrive, of course, and pull out their guns, and they're like, we're going to shoot these buggers, you know, things do pick up. And, and that's how it would feel if you're actually there experiencing this adventure along with the Doctor. So I, I didn't mind it for that reason. I, I didn't mind it, but it does segue neatly into one of my talking points that I wanted to explore. Yes. I felt we could have done a little bit more with the humans, particularly if you're going down a sort of an arc in space style story about, you know, these are humans that have escaped the end of the earth. And it, it, it wasn't clear, but I'm assuming it's the same one that the arc in space and um, the space whale episode and everything was, it was that same disaster, not the actual end of the world, end of the world. Yeah. Now it'd be nice to think that it was and that they all sort of tie together somehow. Yeah, that, that that was my take on it. I thought we were thousands of years in the future, not millions of years. But even given that, one of the wonderful parts of the Ark in Space, and there's so many wonderful parts of the Ark in Space, it's a genuine classic for so many reasons. Yes, go out and buy it, people. Yeah, but one of the things that makes it work well is that in that, between uh, Luca on his original script and Robert Holmes's significant, almost page one rewrite, mm. they create a futuristic society where mankind is a little bit different, the way that mankind is compartmentalized, the way that these people selected are very mission-focused and not as emotional and, and, and have this sort of hierarchical structure and a different approach and slightly different language, that's a really important part of the arc in space. And when we got this episode, mankind emerges from their little cryogenic chambers and apart from the first guy saying that he's the med tech and that's why he woke up first, as almost a throwaway line, they could have been humans from 2017. Yeah, absolutely. And, and that to me was, I know the argument that audiences are simple and need identification and all the rest of it, but I don't think they're that simple. <laughs> I thought this was a bit too simple. And if that had happened a few minutes earlier, the doctor could have said, you know, tell me why you're here. Tell me about yourself. Tell me your rationale. Just tell us something. Why this planet? 
why this approach just something about these guys that made me actually care for them yeah yeah i've got to agree that i was pretty unsympathetic towards them they they just seemed very uh gung-ho very 1970s unit let's solve everything by shooting it um, yeah you know, and, 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 there wasn't and, really and much it, to grab onto with them no that's right and in the scenario where their entire technology on which they're relying on their future has gone astray or sorry they're told it's going astray by a weird guy in a hoodie that's there when they wake up. And they're just like, okay, that's fair enough. Let's go shoot it. Yeah, there wasn't even one, who are you? No, there wasn't a who are you. There wasn't... And look, maybe it, sometimes it can be tedious, and we've seen it many times. Maybe that's why they cut it. But that attitude of, no, no, sorry, the Vardy can't go wrong. They're programmed, da, 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 da. Who are you? You're insane. This isn't a problem. And if they have gone wrong, it's the end of civilization as we know it. It's just, oh, they've gone wrong. Who cares? Yeah, the, the the latter that you described there might have been good and one of them wanders off and gets eaten or something and then they realise something's going wrong. Yes, yeah, that's that's what I'm talking about. And we could have seen perhaps, you know, a different part of society or humanity that is um, like the robots of death, you know, this, this idea that they are so dependent on the robots that the idea of the robots suddenly turning bad upends their entire society. Yeah, that 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 to me, if if there'd been that sort of aspect or that level of detail, this would have gone from a simple but fun episode to a quite sophisticated and fun episode. And I, I think it's a shame it didn't take that extra little blip. I'm not saying it's bad because of that. I'm saying it could have been better by doing that. Yeah. Now you've dropped your word of the week again a few times there. Do you have any more points on the episode, or should we move to those words of the week and our scores? No, I think anything else I'll cover in my, my score. So let's move on. All right. Scores. I think I went first last week, so I'm going to throw you in the uh, in the pot now. Uh, what score are you going to give it? Uh, I'll, I'll come straight out with it. I've given it a simple seven. A simple seven? Okay. A simple seven. Uh, as, as I say, I enjoy it. It's a good story. It, it doesn't get the bonus points that a really good episode gets for, you know, extra depth or extra amazement or extra special emotion or, you know, those things that make something a nine or a ten, that really detailed stuff. It, it, it's not that, but I enjoyed it, so it gets a nice simple seven. Okay. I'm going to say at this juncture that last week I think the fact that Doctor Who was back and I was very excited about it made me give an extra point five to my score. So I'm being very careful this week with how I score it because actually I think last week I was really thinking seven and a half when I gave eight. So this time thinking really hard about it and trying to just put aside the fact I'm just excited that Doctor Who's back and Peter Capaldi is running around in new adventures. I am going to give this a seven and a half. Okay. So are you saying that this was, all excitement aside, this was equal to last week's? I think it was equal to last week's, but different to last week's. And the areas in which it was different, uh, particularly insofar as having more of a story than last week, was very good. At the same time, because we had more of a story, we didn't focus on Bill. And last week we focused on Bill, and that was very good. So they're, they're two different kinds of kettles of fish, but I think on the whole they're both seven and a halfs out of ten. Look, I, I agree with you exactly. I've given them both sevens for exactly the same reason. They're both good. They both could have been improved a little bit but they're both good they're both fun uh, and they're both sevens yes now but 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 very different sevens you're right oh without doubt without doubt moving on to word of the week uh i think yours has been given away quite a bit through the uh through the episode but i think uh it's it's time for you to explain it fully oh look just very simply <laughs> pardon, 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 pardon the undeliberate pun it, it, it was a simple story it was simple doctor who the plot was not hard to work out 
The characterization was pretty straightforward. It, it was positively simple in that it was fun and it was a good story. It was slightly negatively simple in that I think it could have been more nuanced and more layered, but simple. Yeah. My word of the week is also a simple word, and that's redemption. And quite simply, <laughs> I'm having too much fun with that. Um, it's redemption for Frank Cottrell Boyce. Uh, obviously, you think his last effort was okay, but he's been just lambasted by so many people, including myself, for In the Forest of the Night, that I think coming out with a story that was really quite okay and shows people that he really is a good writer and Stephen Moffat's, you know, faith in him isn't misplaced was a good thing. And so I, I liked seeing some redemption there. And now he won't be remembered forever for that guy who wrote that weird episode where the forest grew and, you know, the streets were ripped up, but then the forest disappeared and the streets were magically repaired. And, you know, ah, I'm having flashbacks to it, Dave. <laughs> Save me. Yeah, no, look, um, you're absolutely right. There's no doubt that his batting average will be improved by this episode. And that's not a bad thing. And I think it's also important to remember that this is episode two. And whatever else you say about both Russell T. Davies and Stephen Moffat's good and bad points as showrunners, they've both proved very good at structuring a season so that you have an opening that throws you in at the deep end. You then have some nice, simple ones that help to get the audience in and relaxed. And you build the complexity as you go on. This is a perfect episode two, if that's your approach to a series. Absolutely. Uh, and another reason I think redemption is important, I'm glad I remembered this because I was thinking about it earlier, is it does seem that when uh, Chibbers comes on as showrunner next year, Chris Chibnall, uh, he's going to take up a whole bunch of new writers. This was a quote, I think, attributed to Mark Gatiss. And it does sound, you know, credible that he might come in not only with his own ideas, but with his own writers. So this might be Frank Cottrell Boyce's last throw of the dice when it comes to writing Doctor Who. So that's another reason I'm, I'm actually delighted he gets to go out and not just be remembered as a guy who wrote a Duff story. Yeah, that's a really good point. I don't think there's any doubt that Chibnall will have new people he wants to bring in. And given you only have 13 slots of which the showrunner will write, you know, whether he writes two or whether he writes five, who knows? But there's a limited number of slots, so I don't think Cottrell Boys will be back next year. If Doctor Who runs another five years, he may well get another gig. But I think you're right, we'll see quite a lot of renewal next year. Absolutely. Shall we go to the sports desk? Let's go. Okay, well, here we are at the sports desk. Rob, it's your turn to go first this week. Who was your most valued player? Who was your MVP of the week? Oh, God. I'm... <laughs> this is actually really hard because, as we've been discussing, the Doctor was a bit undoctorish for me. Uh, Bill was nice but had all those questions. Nardole wasn't really in it. Very few of the support cast are in it for any length of time. Makes it actually really hard to choose. I mean, we've just watched 45 minutes or whatever of really great television, but I'm actually... A bit at a loss for MVP of the week. I think by default it has to be the Doctor for saving the day, but that's not really with a lot of conviction from me. I found it very, very, very hard to actually choose an MVP this week. I'm going to agree with you. I think whether you say by default or by merit, it has to be Capaldi as the Doctor. Look, sometimes you get a player that goes in and they kick five goals and have 30 possessions and lead a team to victory off their own boot. This isn't one of those performances, but even when Capaldi isn't doing that, this was a solid performance that leads and hinges an episode, and I thought, yeah, he, he's easily the best thing in this one. So for the second week in a row, I'm going Capaldi, and you're going Capaldi as well this week. 
That's right. Capaldi in a narrow win for the Doctor Who team. Fair enough. So we're going to play of the week. Now, I'll, I'll go first on this one. Ooh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to go for the sequence in the veggie garden, which I thought was very, very well done. Capaldi instilled a creepiness in that whole thing where you walk in and it's really just a room full of lettuces and gardening utensils and some sort of hose or spray or something. But straight away, you know, it's creepy. And straight away, you get this feeling that this is where the episodes may be going to turn. Mm. And that comes out of the performances to lead the audience through that and then end with the discovery of first the mulching machine and then the skulls underneath. Yeah. You know, this wasn't an episode with a lot of depth, but that was a scene that really hooked me and grabbed me at the turn of the episode and that the performances of both Capaldi and Mackie added a lot to. So that was my play of the week. Mine actually relates to what you've just described, but it sits outside the episode itself. My play of the week goes to Frank Cottrell Boyce for writing an episode that was genuinely scary. You know, people were getting killed for real. They were becoming skeletons for real. They were ground up for real. <laughs> you yeah. Know, the, doc yeah. the doctor and Bill were putting their hands under this fertilizer and going, oh, look at this. You know, that, that, that's dead people going on their hands, Dave. That, yeah. <laughs> that's, yeah. That's awful. You know, and I'm so glad Doctor Who went there and didn't pull back and didn't have them come to life or have the nanorobots, uh, you know, bring them back to life at the end or something like that. It was just scary. And it was like, ooh, you know, that was good. Yeah, and, and, and the, 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 the benefit of that is that when the Doctor and Bill went back into the city, there was a part of me going, no, it's dangerous. Work out how to do it from outside. Ah, there's a threat. <laughs> and and if I'm sitting there thinking the Doctor's in danger, then that's mission accomplished. Yeah, absolutely. And maybe it's because it is a simpler episode and we can just concentrate on that sort of thing that maybe that helped. I, I don't know. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Your foul of the week, Rob. I've already discussed this, and I'll, I'll bring it up again, you know, briefly. We don't have to go into it that much. And that's, you know, I want to blow it up. You know, that's that's just so undoctorly. You know, at least undoctorly without having checked it out first and made sure there weren't survivors, people hiding, whatever. You know, it, it just seemed very brash. Yeah, look, that's fair. We, we've explored that, and I understand that. Mine, I'm going to go for some of the opening sequence in the TARDIS with Bill, and I think you probably guessed that this would be mine, Rob. Yes. <laughs> you're, you're given the chance of exploring all of time and space, and you natter on about where the chairs are put. Yeah. Now, whether this is meant to be a piece of characterization that's meant to make her endearing, I don't know, but it didn't make her endearing to me. It made her stupid. And e even if you want to do that, we are in a drama series about traveling through time and space. Don't waste time nattering about where the chairs in the bloody set are. I didn't even know there were chairs on the TARDIS set. I don't care. <laughs> just go into time and space. It just comes back to that Moffat director. Have her ask the questions that have never been asked before, and Cottrell voices probably thought, Christ, what am I going to have a say? Oh, how about these chairs? They don't match up with the controls. I don't know. Oh, yeah, I'll throw it in. And it comes back to what I said last week. If a question hasn't been asked for 53 years, there's probably a good reason why it wasn't. <laughs> and on that note, let's wrap up. So, Fan Watch, I don't think there's much that fans will be getting up in arms about this week. I think some may be a little annoyed that the emoji thing will date it very quickly. 
I think so, like the Wi-Fi episode I mentioned earlier. That was uh, The Bells of St. John, as I recall. I yeah. came up with one uh, that the ending might be too much of a deus ex machina. It was similar in some ways to the end of that first episode of Class, where the Doctor turned up and went, Oh, they're shadow people. I'll turn up the lights. Ha! The light beats the shadows. Ha ha! You know, and that was a, a very quick sort of ending there as well, and... It's a stretch, but maybe it's a Deus Ex Machina ending that people might get upset about. Yeah, and that does remind me that it did cross my mind that for the second time in a row, it is the Moffat trope of tech gone bad, mm. or tech 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 making a mistake and making it go bad. So I, I, I defended Moffat for going back to the well last time. Um, the fact that it's not Moffat this time does give you some relief, but once again, it is something that's meant to work not working maybe we need to steer away from that a little bit more. All right, let's steer away into Arc Watch. I'll go first. I think the only Arc thing in this episode was possibly the vault being mentioned again. Uh, look, it was, and the thing that I took away was that it was made explicit that the Doctor had made a promise to someone. Because last week when he was doing his monologue about, I can't do that, I promised, I made a promise, I took that as he'd made a promise to himself. Yeah. This, I think, made it quite explicit he'd made a promise to someone. What if it was one of his other selves who was like someone else but is himself? Oh. <laughs> uh, that that would be that would be a valid interpretation. But yes, the, the, that to me was an extra layer on a piece of information we had last week. Yeah, and lots of people out there guessing what's in the vault. In fact, ABC Two is asking people this morning what's in the vault so they can talk about it on the episode of Whovians tonight. I've actually tweeted at them and said, look, one of our listeners said it might be Gallifrey in the vault. That might be the pocket universe in there where Gallifrey was hidden and maybe the Doctor promised one of his earlier selves that he would hide it there and look after it, you know. But other people are saying, look, it's probably the Mondasian Cybermen, or some people are saying it's Susan. I think it was the episode of The Regenerates this week. They were saying he's throwing every version of Clara he finds through time and space into the vault. <laughs> oh, that would be a good thing if he was doing that. <laughs> you know, when she split herself off and he runs into yeah, her all yeah, the time. Yeah, yeah. They're, they're, it's all just, Clara in the vault, yeah. Just removing Clara from the universe one at a time. I like that. I'd watch that series. <laughs> Dave, did you have any uh, other arc things? I, I think that was really the. No, I think I think that was it. Yeah. All right. Let's move on to listener comments. We have a stack of them, so we'll rattle through them pretty quickly. The first one is we posed a question in our first episode, and that was where does our sports theme come from? And we had two answers to this. They were different, but they were both correct. Uh, Stephen, known as Steve Stylin on Twitter, said it's the Graham and the Colonel theme from The Late Show, and he is absolutely right as far as we were concerned. It That's is right. the Graham and the Colonel theme, uh, which I think is quite uh, funny that we're taking on that mantle given I have a cat called Graham and you've held a military rank, Dave. <laughs> yeah, that was quite um, coincidental, but quite funny. But yes, a, a very funny um, sequence from a live comedy show that was on back in the early 90s when we were young and impressionable. Exactly. A great show. And uh, David, meanwhile, at David's Ideas on Twitter, said that it comes from the Wimbledon coverage in the UK. Now, this was something we, I well, I, at least I didn't know about. Did you know about this? No, I, I, did, I didn't know about it. <laughs> That's obviously where the Late Show people got the idea from. And so, David, you're absolutely right as well. And we also had a brief uh, email about it from Shane Rofe, who said, G'day, fellas. Sorry I didn't send you my choice of favourite Doctor Who music. That's because on our monthly Doctor Who show, we did Doctor Who music just recently. If you've not heard that, folks, check it out. Um, and he says, but the sports segment bit. Loved it. I don't know what the actual track is called, but it's from Graham and the Colonel. I know that much. Cheers. Great podcast. Keep up the good work. Thank you very much, Shane. 
Yeah, thank you to Shane. Now, we've also had one from Renata who says, oh, I knew you guys would enjoy this episode. Really fun, right? Smiley face. Appropriately, a smiley face. Yeah, very appropriate. <laughs> also, although I enjoyed Nardle in this episode, David has a good point. The comic relief felt forced sometimes. Thank you for that, Renata. Always nice to have someone agree with you. Now, Taylor Zeto San Itchy, also known as Apex Buddha on uh, Twitter, he's one half of the Doctor Who podcast, The Podcastica, says, love the ep this week, guys. Definitely dig the new elements of the show. Well, thank you. We thought long and hard about them. That's good. And Kathleen Krukshank, who tweets at cats underscore cats paws, all with K's, not C's, says, good show, guys. I also thought the premiere was okay. It didn't have a my name is Davros moment. But a good Doctor Who show to start off the series. And I agree with a happy 7 out of 10. So lots of really good positive feedback coming out this week, Rob. Yeah, all for you, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was your score as well. It was, it was. The happy 7 out of 10. Hmm. Yes, my name is Davros, or as someone on Twitter at the time was saying, my name is Dave Ross, <laughs> which I thought was funny. And that's how he got the name Davros. He was actually Dave Ross, but anyway. I, I actually know a guy who was uh, Dave Ross. He was the president of the Doctor Who Club before I was in Victoria. So hi, Dave Ross, if you're listening. <laughs> Did anyone ever make the connection? Uh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> All right, now we get into some longer emails. I'll take this first one, Dave. It's from Wanda, who is at fishy underscore Wanda on Twitter. I think she might like a certain fish called Wanda film uh, based on that uh, Twitter handle. And Wanda's been very active actually talking to us all week, which is great. She says, hey there, just recently discovered your fantastic podcast and listened to your review of the recent first episode of the series, which I loved. There are a lot of points I wanted to make about the pilot. However, I don't want to list them all and bore you, so I thought I'd just make two. Firstly, the photos of Susan and River on the table. I honestly think they were there because we had missed a whole year of Doctor Who and we needed something familiar, especially with a new companion that not a lot of people were sure about. That whole scene had little nods to everything, as if it was a mental checklist for all of us to go, is this still the Doctor Who we know and love? Cue in sonic screwdrivers, cue in classic Who and new Who, cue in funny and adorable sidekick, etc. The other thing that I wanted to point out that really bugged me about the episode was the trailer for the second episode. It was like we were slowly guided into the new series, feeling safe and secure with a new Monster of the Week. Welcome, Bill, with opened arms, took a deep breath when it ended, and then BAM! Master! Missy! Excitement! Adventure! Which, for a brief moment, made me completely forget what the episode I saw was all about. If I hadn't watched Whovians right after, I would have turned off the TV just thinking about what will be in the next week's episode. It looks to be a great final season for both Moffat and Capaldi. Very much looking for what will happen in future episodes. Kindest regards from Wanda. Thank you so much, Wanda. That was an awesome email. Yeah, there's some really good points in there. And you're right, that familiarity maybe was something that we didn't give credit to that it was being pointed out. So I like that. Yeah, I, I certainly didn't think that at all. But as soon as I heard that, I thought, yeah, that could be quite right. And, and, and it's fair to say that whilst maybe for old school fans like us, River is more of an annoyance. If you're somebody who just follows the new series, she would be a very familiar and friendly face. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So the final one we have, or the final one that I have, is from Mike Solko. He says, hello, friends. Do I still qualify as a listener? Admission, I wasn't very excited going into the pilot. Big finishes kept me company and Dr. Mysterio wasn't all that great. Within 15 minutes of the pilot, I was full of dread. Not because the story was bad, mind you, but because I was bowled over and didn't want to wait another week for the next episode. This episode nailed Who, in my opinion. It was a lovely mix of character work, terror, comedy, and the sheer awe of time and space. 
The hissing puddle lady being misunderstood rather than evil was perfect. Once a violent solution failed, our characters had to use their brains and their compassion to save the day. A few quick thoughts. Nardwell felt picked perfect for the role he was given. Perhaps he's a way to inject some Graham Williams-era comedy into the show without making the lead character a joke. Ridiculous theory. The Doctor throws the fourth Doctor's sonic screwdriver to Nardwell so that he can use it to distract the Daleks. We see the Daleks recognise PCAP via his screwdriver. Did they recognise Nardwell as the fourth Doctor, instigator of the Time Wall? Well, wow, gosh. <laughs> well, okay, that's a stretch, but okay. <laughs> Additional ridiculous theory. The Doctor looks at Susan while answering Bill's Why Me? He travelled back to photograph her mother. Is he Bill's father? Okay, I'm just going to leave that one. I can't process that. <laughs> uh, Mike's final point. The music was a huge step up from Series 9. I may actually rate this one higher than the 11th hour as an introduction episodes go. A strong 9 out of 10. So really positive ideas there from Mike. Yeah, I think Mike makes some great points. And although I downgraded the episode this uh, this time around to a 7.5 out of 10, I do feel all the same things, that it, it had the comedy and it had the dread and it had everything in it, you know, the character and whatnot. I, I, I really did enjoy that first episode. Yeah, absolutely. Now, I have some late mail, <laughs> no pun intended, and I'll just read this here at the end. It's from Steve Panozzo, who's a great uh, Aussie cartoonist and caricaturist. He dropped me a line on Facebook and said, Hey, Rob, love the review show. Well done, mate. Though you didn't pick up on the photo of Bill's mother taken by the Doctor, I think that is a very significant thing that will be picked up on throughout the season. Keep forging ahead, buddy, from Steve. And look, comes back to that photo again, doesn't it? And ties back into what I said at the start of the episode. Sometimes we do these hot takes. We notice these things. I certainly noticed the photos. I could see that Capaldi was in them, just as I noticed the Mary Celeste sign, just as I wanted to talk about Charter. Sometimes we just don't get time to talk about things. Sometimes we miss things. You know, it happens. <laughs> it, it does, and I suspect that we'll get a good chance to talk about that in future episodes, because Steve is probably right. That's probably going to come back in some way. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I was having all sorts of bizarre thoughts at the time, like, what if Bill is Bill's own mother or something? And uh, I, I just went off on crazy tangents. I won't, I won't go into them now. <laughs> yeah, look, uh, maybe. But then again, maybe her seeing Capaldi in that photo was just a way of her being able to say, okay, this guy isn't crazy. This guy really does travel in time. And that was just a, a little bit of extra evidence for her to switch. Maybe that's all it was. Yeah, although I did give Tegan Higginbotham on Hoovians a good line, something along the lines of, oh, you're sad, I'm going to go off and photograph your mum. <laughs> it does seem a bit bit creepy as well, but anyway. Yeah. All right, Dave, I think that's it for Smile, done and dusted. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll see you next Sunday for not one but two episodes of the Doctor Who show. We'll be reviewing Thin Ice, and Dave, you'll also be presenting a special episode of the monthly show without me. Yeah, that's right. For the next two episodes, we're taking a leaf out of the series book and having a Doctor and Companion light episode. Listeners can decide which is which. <laughs> but yes, I'll be presenting our regular monthly April episode, which will be uh, review-free, a more general discussion this time next week. And I'll be presenting a day-free monthly episode in May. See you, everyone. Bye. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of The Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. 
This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, or names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.